Welcome in to episode three of the MTG Headquarters podcast. This week with more resolution and more frames on my beautiful face. I used a little bit of my Patreon dollars to get a new camera for my face. And this week, I will also be getting a mixer to bring you even better audio. So stay tuned. This podcast, as I promised, will get better every episode, at least in production quality. I can't say in the topics I cover or in their level of interest. So this week, uh, I have a couple things I want to cover in the podcast, and uh, they mean a lot to me, actually. The first thing I want to talk about is the Pro Tour, and I want to take a sip of my now lukewarm coffee as it is uh it was a long saturday night i'm recording this on sunday morning for publishing on tuesday or wednesday of this week so i happened to watch brian's video uh his debate video about the pro tour and i actually agreed kind of with the notion that the pro tour is kind of a dead meme and it kind of needs to go away and I think uh, Wizards of the Coast is really um, convinced that it drives sales that it drives sales but I don't think it does and I thought um, the guy from Command Tower really nailed it when he said um, his name is Josh I think right Josh Lequai I think uh, he said that really the only people that watch the Pro Tour are Magic's most enfranchised players, the people that are grinders, the people that read every single article known to man. And I tend to agree with this. Uh, I find the Pro Tour pretty uninteresting. I follow it uh, as like a business decision, right? Like I, I have to know what's going on in the Pro Tour. Otherwise, um, I can't talk about it or I can't really speak to it. And, and honestly, I don't really keep up with hyper competitive, uh, like, you know, standard decks, modern decks, things like that. So when the pro tour comes in, it's kind of the first time in which I'm really seeing the culmination of several weeks of competitive play. But I will admit, again, it's not very interesting to me. Standard right now is not very interesting for me. Uh, I think as a format, people come in and they go out and that's normal. I think with the rotation of standard, whether, you know, it doesn't really matter which side or, you know, if they tweak it in a few months here or there, it still rotates pretty quickly. Standard is still pretty expensive and that will lead to a lot of burnout. You get a lot of people investing hundreds of dollars, not winning very often, and then they just get burnt out. And that's why formats like EDH, Popper, and to a much lesser extent, Modern, still thrive, in my opinion. And so I watched this debate show and it kind of brought to the forefront of my mind this conversation that's being had like all the time about, um, you know, why nobody watches Pro Tours or why is uh, the coverage so poor? And I had an idea. 
I thought about it more critically and that I see at least from a superficial standpoint. And now if Wizards has the data to back this up, then I guess it destroys my entire argument. But standard sells packs, right? It, it, it is a theory that at face value holds some water, right? It's, it, you can't really argue with it. Um, however, I feel like while that is probably true to at least some extent, I do also view Pro Tour coverage as, in a way, a tide that can raise all boats. And if you're not interested in watching Standard, you're not interested in watching the Pro Tour. So the, the other side of this is, as I dug in a little deeper, it, it seems like to me that the most competitive players, while highlighted by things like the Pro Tour, are also the players that probably spent the least amount of money on the game. The people that spend the money are people like me with walls of empty fat packs behind them. The people that spend the money are people like most of the people that listen to my chant, listen to my podcast, or uh, watch my channel, right? Casuals or even casual tryhards, which is what I would probably classify myself as. Someone who plays to win when they play, but they don't play that often. They like to collect. They like to open packs. These are the people that spend the money. These are the people who pay $40 for a fat pack at Walmart or the people that pay go into your local game store and buy fat packs and booster boxes. We're not the ones that are always at FNM. Now, that's not to say people at FNM don't spend money, but the proportion at which casuals spend money buying booster packs is significantly higher than the competitive players. So by catering your coverage only to competitive players, eventually what you have is a cull. You have people like me who tune in every once in a while and see what's going on in standard, but it's really not interesting to me. I really have zero interest in watching 20 rounds of the same five decks play against each other. So I started thinking, what could Wizards do to fix this? And this is not you know, groundbreaking, earth-shattering stuff. This is not high-end, um, statistically-driven recommendations. But it's based in common sense. And that's what we're going to see with this Thunderclap campaign that we started on the uh, MTG headquarters um, podcast, or on the video cast. I have, if you're watching this on video, you see the screen shaking around. I have my cats walking around underneath me. Something I normally don't do when filming, but today is a different day. What if, and I'm not saying this is a solution, but I'm saying hypothetically, what if the pros, because I want to watch good people play magic. I think we can all agree on that. Watching pros play magic is the most interesting type of magic to me. However, watching good players play the exact same deck for two days straight is extraordinarily boring to me. What I would like to see is more formats featured in the Pro Tour. Imagine if pros had to play three rounds of draft, three rounds of sealed, three rounds of popper, three rounds of standard, three rounds of modern, three rounds of frontier, three rounds of popper if I didn't say that, and three rounds of legacy. And that's how they played 15 rounds, right? I think more people 
Imagine it as like a magic gauntlet where the the players, the, the game's best players are playing almost all of the formats in, over a two-day span. I think that would be extraordinarily interesting. If you tune in to the coverage and you see, oh, they're playing standard, at least you know that in three hours you're going to see some popper or you're going to see some frontier or you're going to see some EDH even. Some, you know, EDH is the one outlier that I think would be hard because competitive uh, EDH is, doesn't appeal to everybody, but maybe you could do something, right? Um, competitive sealed deck building where, like, do you get three packs and, you know, they build that way. I don't know. But this is Van. He's my oldest cat if you're watching the video cast or if you're watching the podcast, you may hear him jingling around and purring. But... I think Wizards is making a really short-sighted decision, a non-business, like an emotional, emotionally driven decision. Or maybe, you know how data is? There's that old saying, right? There's lies, there's damn lies, and then there's statistics. And there's a lot of truth in that because statistics can basically tell whatever story you want them to tell. Look at this last election cycle if you want to see bad data on uh, even by the world's most foremost trusted news sources. So... I think if you feature more formats, not only will you keep people interested in watching these Pro Tour events longer, there'll be less of incentive to tune in and tune out because you don't like other formats or you can come back later and see what you want. I've seen this in very hold very true in how I structure my magic videos nowadays. More people in 2017 are watching my videos than, than ever before. And I'm convinced it's because I've changed the format to feature two or three different things in each video. Now, they may be skipping around. They may be popping in, popping out, coming back later. But regardless is regardless of that, nobody can argue that my videos are getting viewed more than ever now. And it's so obvious. If I put out a video about something very specific, about just a standard deck tech, everybody who doesn't play standard has zero interest in that video. Everybody who hate, who's burnt out or who isn't competitive has zero interest in that video. There's a reason my unboxing videos do well because not only is there more casual people who like box openings, but also it is, at least when a new set comes out, partially interesting to competitive players. So if you can make your coverage more diverse, my hypothesis is that more people will watch it. It will be the tie that raises all boats. And it will still sell packs because when you sell packs, you're selling packs to more than just standard players. And if you're an EDH player watching the newest cards, how, how the pro players put the newest cards into their EDH decks with your favorite general, or you're watching pro players play with the newest Aether Revolt cards or whatever the latest set is in a popper deck, you're still likely to go out and buy packs. Standard... While you could say, sure, everything you see is available in a pack, it doesn't mean that people aren't still buying singles or aren't still buying. Now, singles do drive pack openings. But what I'm saying is you don't have to exclusively only like standard to be incited to buy packs. Look at me. I'd be willing to bet from a non-commercial standpoint, 
there's I'm probably in the top 1% of people at open booster packs. And before I started this Magic the Gathering channel, I was the same way. I bought booster boxes, I opened them up. I have friends, most of my friends are casual and they buy booster boxes and they open them up. So, and none of us watch the Pro Tour, right? However, a lot of my friends play Frontier or play Popper or play EDH or Tiny Leaders or Giant Leaders or whatever. And they're thereby are totally not interested in Pro Tour coverage. But if it was there, I'm certain they would be far more inclined to watch it. And again, watch your favorite formats played by the world's best players. Now, there is a negative thing to this where uh, you don't really have to convince me that um, when you have something on the world stage, so to speak, you are likely to spike prices. And that's just the way it is, right? It happens in standard. Net decking is real. And people, there will be a, a, a large portion of people that are like, oh, this deck won the Popper tournament. I don't play Popper now, but I'm going to go buy all these cards and I'm going to go wreck face at my local Popper tournament. And that's going to happen. However, and, and you will see some price increase on staples. But the fact of the matter is, I would rather have cards cost a little bit more and have more thriving formats than have people show up who love Popper and not have events fire or not have people to play their favorite formats with. And I'm pretty sure that if you play Popper and you built a $40 deck and you show up to FNM and there's five people, you'd be much happier having paid $50 and have the event fire. It's all about percentages of increase too, right? So, and supply and demand. So, while there are outlier situations, increasing, spiking the price of cards in Popper has, you know, a much lower ceiling than standard or modern, for example. Modern is tough. Price spikes in modern are very tough because Wizards is not good at reprinting things. Which brings me to another thing I talked about in Monday's video is... When you support more formats and you create interest, so there are cards in Popper or Frontier that are not printed right now, you give yourself an option at more viable reprints. You can increase the value of more obscure cards, increase the EV of packs, and you can reprint stuff. Now, you have to get better at reprinting stuff, Wizards. That's without a doubt. But when you have a card from Popper that that still has value at 20 cents that's still wanted by people as a common in a new standard set that's great I think they see this true that's why they're putting the full arts one in every four packs in Amonkhet it's fit it, they're trying to create value for people and so if you can create value in commons and uncommons or dead cards give yourself more of incentive to reprint things, it opens up your options. You can start putting some of these popper staples or frontier staples in your dual decks and create more interest in your dual decks. Or you could bring back event decks. Um, all sorts of interesting products that you can do. Now, I think the market is pretty saturated now. But what if, could you imagine a FTV popper, which is like super premium foil versions of popular popper cards, and it's like, 1999 people would buy that edh 
from the vault to EDH. We all know you EDH players love your bling. And even if the, I mean, Wizards has money to be made in these other formats. And I think it's very dangerous to only rely on standard to buoy your business. Because if standard falls, if you print a really bad set and people don't like playing standard, you're affecting, like, it's all your eggs in one basket mentality. So if you have a boring set of standard, unappealing standard set, you're totally at risk. You're putting a lot of pressure on R&D to keep standard great. And we're already seeing quite a few mistakes by R&D with more bannings and, and, and player complaints at probably an all-time high. And so I'm interested, if you're listening to this, there's most of the areas, whether it's on SoundCloud, Podbean, iTunes, I have this podcast everywhere you've all asked for it. It's on Stitcher. If there's a place to feedback, give me some feedback. Be very interested. Um, if you have Twitter, you can tweet me at MTG Headquarters. And if you haven't yet, I actually, in the on Monday's video, there's a link to a thunderclap, which is something that I'm trying to do. If you're watching the video cast, I can show it to you, actually. Um... Now, this is the thunderclap. I'll put it in the description of the actual video. If you agree with me that people, that wizards should consider being more diverse, I've launched this thunderclap, which basically it's a coordinated Facebook and tweet storm that's going to tell wizards magic is not standard. It's unique. Featuring formats like popper and modern will help it grow. And what I mean is exactly what I've been talking about for the last 20 minutes is we can tell mad wizards that we want to see this stuff on coverage and maybe they'll pay attention to that. Now, I haven't published at the time of recording this podcast, I haven't published this video. So hopefully we'll be well over the 250 supporters. Again, it costs nothing. All you do is link up your Twitter and your Facebook account to it. And then on March 2nd at 1230 Central, bam, everything fires out. And so we might even be able to make this go get trending, right? So if you're interested in this, it won't fire off if we don't at least get the 250 people uh, backing it. And maybe I'm just wrong. Maybe I'm dead wrong about this. I have been wrong about things before in my life. So... Uh, if I, if you agree, make sure you sign up and we get this message out. Let's get the most amount of people talking about it as possible. I don't, I don't think I've presented, you know, the only solution here or even the best solution, but what I want is to people talk for people to talk about it. I think that's part of the reason people want so much GP coverage because the formats played at GPs are more diverse. Um, today's second topic will be a bit about um, taking advantage of people in the magic community. And I'm going to be right back. All right, so the second kind of hot button issue of the week for me is Pandaron or Patreon. And before I talk about this, I need to make several concessions. One, Am I jealous of other creators who ha who make, you know, thousands of dollars a month on Patreon? Absolutely. Two, I have no problem with people using Patreon. It's extraordinarily important. 
in smaller YouTube communities like Magic the Gathering. Magic the Gathering is a tiny, tiny YouTube community. When our top content creators have 100 or 200,000 subscribers, we're nothing. And so Patreon is an important incentive and support system for content creators to keep making content, okay? Also, before I talk about how I feel, I wanna talk about a reality. I have nothing personal against anyone who uses Patreon or any uses any of the tactics I'm gonna talk about, okay? Remember, you don't hate the player, you hate the game, and I really mean that. And if you follow me on social media, you know that I'm constantly aware of what other Magic the Gathering content creators are doing. And content is a wide variety of things. It's not just videos, it's articles, it's apparently cosplay, and uh, lots of other things, podcasts. And I'm a big fan of, you know, the, the correct amount of Magic the Gathering content is more but there are a few common threads that really grind my gear when it comes to garnering support. And I see most, the most successful peers of mine seem to employ one or more of these despicable tactics. Magic players are the goodwill amongst the Magic the Gathering community is incredible. I was wondering why that stuff was shaking. If you're watching the video cast, there's a cat walking around behind me on my set. Um, the most successful, ah, sorry, the Magic the Gathering community is extraordinarily charitable. Very, very supporting of different causes, different content creators. They support me. I have almost 100 patrons. And that's awesome. It allows me to improve the content on my channel. It brings in new camera, brings in new audio equipment, brings in better lighting, brings in new software. I just purchased the new Premiere set so I can start to learn uh, After Effects to try to make my videos a little bit better. So the proper use of Patreon is super important to small content creators because I could never do these things without Patreon. I mean, I work a job, I can pay my bills, but I don't have enough extra money left over to like invest in YouTubing. Okay. So I am a huge fan of all my patrons and anyone who chooses to back anyone on Patreon. Now I feel like I've made enough of a disclaimer where I can flip off kind of the rational thought and share a little bit of what really grinds my gears. I kind of feel, I view myself a little bit as like Papa Papa Jeremy for, for Magic players. I'm very protective of you guys and gals and everything in between. I'm just very protective of the Magic community. However, that comes out as ire or anger a lot of times because... Other people take advantage of that. Other content creators. Yes, that's my microphone, Vanny. <laughs> There's a few tactics that really, really piss me off. One, the most annoying, 
Also, most effective method of garnering Patreon support is crying in your videos. There are two prominent, now one very successful Patreon, someone who garnered three times the support I've taken years to support overnight. A big part of that video was the crying. And magic players are good-hearted. Okay, I have... I won't mention people by name, okay? But there is a large YouTuber that fake cries in their video, in their Patreon video, and now there's a cosplayer who's bawling in her video while also asking you for money. I cannot stand this. Let me tell you why. I know sometimes the emotions flow through you, okay? When I talked about Chance... You know, my, my cat, my first cat ever, if you're watching the video, I still have his collar next to me. When I talked about his struggle and his passing in a Wanderlust episode, I cried or I started to tear up. And, and sometimes emotions just flow through you. But as a content creator, you have to then edit your videos and you have to look at that video several times before uploading it. And you have to decide, hmm. Do I want to do a retake or do I want to leave me bawling my eyes out in the video? And then there's a conscious decision that is being made. I am sure of it. Whether the tears are real or fake, they know the effect that's going to have on you magic, on the magic community. They absolutely know this. And this is going to offend some people, but... I see this as being truth. The latest thing that set me off on Patreon is a female cosplayer in the magic community crying on her video asking for money. Let's be very clear here. One, if she wasn't a good-looking girl, the support would be about 5% of what it really is. And two, if she wasn't also crying, same thing holds true. If I, I said it better in a tweet, but basically, if you are an average-looking woman or any man you would not have garnered hundreds of patrons overnight, okay? She knew this going in. And again, I want to be clear. I don't hate the player. I hate the game. Crying happens, okay? But what bothers me is if it's really sincere or not. And whether it is or whether it isn't, I don't think it's fair of a content creator to put that on people, potential backers, because it elicits an emotion. It's like a wounded deer. You magic, the magic community is so damn giving that the people that upload these videos with their sob stories, they know you're going to rise to the challenge. They know you're going to rise up and give them your money. That pisses me off. Two, I really hate people who pander for their Patreon. This is a common thread in a lot of Patreon videos. Hey, you're the same as me. We're all the same. I bet you could count the number of times they use the word community in their videos, and it would take more than one hand, probably two. This is a word that people use oftentimes to control an illicit response. When you say, 
I love this community or, you know, you're all, we're all a community. What you're doing is trying to bring everyone, make, you know, we're all in this together. When in fact, only one person is really benefiting from that message, right? There's another, you know, when you ask for people's support, you need to, in my opinion, provide tangible returns for their investment. And this is frustrating because it is never, I'm being honest, it just doesn't work like that for me. Like I, I put every penny I get in Patreon back in to the channel. I improve quality. If you look at videos before I started my Patreon, they sounded and looked far worse. But there are people out there taking thousands of dollars a month from patrons and haven't improved their quality one bit. In fact, some of them have gotten worse. And there are content creators out there, much smaller ones, ones that I like that have Patreon accounts out there struggling who are trying to provide high quality video content, but don't, but have too much pride to cry in front of the camera or to pander. Oh, we're all the same. You know, give me your money. Uh, you know, save the channel, blah, blah, blah. Disgusting, despicable tactic. And don't think for a second that these people don't know exactly what they're doing. That's what, it, that's why I get so pissed off about it. They know exactly what they're doing. These are scripted. They're not just, hey, I'm going to turn on a camera and ask for Patreon dollars. Bullshit. They know exactly what they're saying. They know exactly how to elicit a response. They know exactly how they look. They know exactly how their message will be perceived. And they're taking advantage of you all. And somebody said to me a comment, and I really appreciated that because I, I didn't really think of myself in this way, but it, it's probably the consumer protection. Somebody said something like, I really appreciate how you kind of look at consumer us as consumers and try to protect us in, in your podcasts or your videos. And that's really where it comes from. It's like one third jealousy because God, man, could you imagine what I could do with this channel? If I was raking in five grand a month in Patreon, I'd have freaking swinging in effects. I'd have a full-time video editor. That's what I would do with that money. I don't just take the money and pay my rent like most of these people do. Uh, but I admit, I cannot deny that there's a level of jealousy there. Of course. I mean, if I was making half of what the biggest content creator is, I wouldn't have to take extra clients and I would be making videos five days a week and it would be fucking awesome. But like, that's okay because I can sleep at night knowing that when I ask for things, I either really need them or I'm going to try my damnedest to provide superior quality for people's money. Which brings me to the third thing that really pisses me off about, again, Patreon videos in general, but you know, most of my experience is watching them in the magic community. I do support a few people on Patreon outside the magic community, and their videos were nothing like this. Their videos were, hey, my I work a full-time job. I'd like to, you know, instead of getting two jobs, I'd like to do this. If you want to throw me some money, do so. I back like Undoomed, I think Bearing. I also back a few other magic uh, content creators as well. But the third tactic 
that I always see people use, that I never use, which is probably why whenever I publish a Patreon video, no one backs or very few people back. And don't get me wrong, I'm very, very happy for the backers I have, okay? But most of the largest Patreon accounts in the Magic community are people that have either implied or said specifically that their content was going away without your money. That is over the line. When you hold your subscribers hostage for money to give them your content, you are a scumbag. I don't care. You can come at me with, if you're good at something, don't do it for free, whatever, whatever. That's fine. If you can't afford to make YouTube videos, then don't. But when you sit in front of that camera and you say, if you don't give me a dollar a month or $2 a month, I can't make videos for you anymore. That is complete and utter horseshit. I work 100 hours a week and I still have time to do three videos a week and I'm married and I, have and I have a home and I take care of all my responsibilities. So don't fucking tell me that you can't make some time to do YouTube videos without people giving you money. This is like the biggest pile of horseshit I've ever seen and it pushes me to the very brink of rage when I see this happen. And I have fellow YouTube content creators that use this tactic and it boils my piss. I just can't stand it. Now, the way Patreon is supposed to work is you're supposed to offer something in addition. You're not supposed to say, just give me money, but that's what everyone seems to do. And I can't stand it. Nothing against other content creators. If I had no shame, I would probably do the same thing. But it gets me so worked up because I'm so protective of you all and your money that I know you want to do something good. And so when I do my videos and I'm like, for example, hey, you know, it'd be really awesome if we could grow the Patreon. I don't say, or oh, I'm going to stop making videos. I spend more time assuring people that my videos aren't going away. And that's why apparently why they don't work as well. But you're never, ever, ever, ever going to see me hold my videos hostage in exchange for your money. There's just, that is one of the lowest forms of pandering and, and fakeness I've ever seen. And people ask why I go so hard at certain people for doing this. It's because I get mad at anyone who does this. Uh, we're all a community. Uh, I have health problems. Give me money. Which takes me to number four. Patreon is a, le a legitimate fundraising source. If you have a legitimate health condition, fine. Although, you know, if you're like raising money for cancer or something like that, you don't use Patreon for that. You use like GoFundMe or whatever, which I have supported several times. In fact, I've get, given money to Humongous himself. No problem with fundraising for good causes. When you say, oh, I have, let me tell you something. I take 175 milligrams of Effexor every day. I take uh, two pills I can't even pronounce for IBS. I have anxiety. I have depression. But I don't shoehorn that shit into my Patreon videos. I don't say, I can't work. There, there is a percentage of people who can't work, okay? When I talked about this once, 
uh, someone made a, a very fair comment. There is a percentage of people who can't work who are physically or mentally disabled. And I 100% supporting those, 100% support supporting those folks. There are soldiers that have come back from combat who are damaged in some physical or mental way that can't work. They need our help, okay? The problem is the people that take advantage of this. Here's the number of people that legitimately can't work, okay? And God bless them. If I enjoyed their content, I would support them on the sole fact alone that I couldn't, if I, that they need that money to live. But this is the amount of assholes that say they can't work, but really can't. And these are the people with Patreon accounts raking in thousands of dollars a month based on one or more of these tactics. I just want everyone to be careful about knowing who their content creators are, about knowing what really motivates their content creators. Because when they come correct to you and say, here's what I'm going to do for your, for your money, and then they do it, that's the type of person you want to support. If they spend 20 minutes making you feel bad for them, and then ask you for money, they're probably scamming you. I'm sorry, but they probably are. And that disgusts me. But I say again, I don't hate the player. I hate the game. And I think all content is, as long as it's being consumed, or even if it isn't, is valuable. And I talked to some people about the cosplay thing. I think cosplay is great. It's, it's great. It's not really a service, in my opinion. It's someone who likes to play dress up. But that's just me. Some people see it as that. I think a lot of people see this fat material, in my opinion. When I start looking at some of this cosplay, I start having to say, like, I feel a little movement down in my pantaloons. And I'm like, I see why. I see why people could like cosplay. But I, I actually really enjoy seeing it. And so I'm sure there's some section of the community that finds value in that. Same thing is true for YouTube videos, right? Watching some bearded guy bitch and complain about stuff has some value to some people. And if those people choose to back with their money, that's okay too. All I want is for people to be honest and follow through on the things they... At least make a good faith effort at investing that money not saying pay my rent. I still live at home, but I want money. So give me money or you can't watch my free videos on YouTube anymore. And that was quite the Magic the Gathering related rant. Uh, this week, you know, I wanted to talk about Magic the Gathering, Modern Masters, spoilers, but because I have to record these podcasts on the weekend, nothing's really come out yet. I think we've seen some early art for Goblin Guide, which I'm very excited. Thank you, Wizards, for reprinting Goblin Guide. I'm starting to get kind of excited now that spoilers are coming up. And by the time this podcast is out, some will probably already have dropped. But if you're watching the video form of this podcast, please keep leaving your suggestions in the comments 
down below. Things you'd want to see. I'm working on getting a judge. Um, and I, that was one suggestion last week. Uh, other content creators are great and everything, but um, I don't know. Let me know what you think because I don't like have – we don't all live close to each other. So in order for me to have someone else, they're going to have to Skype in and their audio is going to be not great. So maybe um, if you have somebody you want me to bring in and talk to via Skype – let me know and maybe I'll like do the regular podcast and then bring like cut to a section where we are also doing an interview or a phone it like a phone call. That might be kind of interesting. Uh, really enjoying um, doing this podcast. Uh, it's very cathartic for me. So I appreciate all of you um, letting me kind of get stuff off my chest and hopefully you're enjoying it. Um, each week, I will try to improve the podcast, like I said before. I've got a new uh, audio piece mixer coming in that's definitely going to improve the audio quality. And um, I'm learning, working on learning some After Effects to improve the video presentation of the podcast. Next step would probably be to do it live. Maybe we'll do it live by summertime. I don't know. My, I'm going to have to... Uh, squeeze my moves together and, and get a new Patreon video up and then I can maybe drop this kind of second job I'm doing and then do the podcast but I'm going to do the podcast regardless it's just going to stay on the weekend then <laughs> give me money thanks for listening everyone we'll talk to you again real soon <laughs>